0: Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Jim McCurry, and I'm chatting with Dean Cavanagh about his dark comedy drama, Hole in the Head. So, thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, thank you, thank you for having me, Jim. It's it's a very fun, unusual, experimental film, very tactile, and there's kind of like a darker thread through it that makes it inherently more watchable than think than like a, your traditional experimental thing because there's a mystery
1: yeah totally yeah yeah exactly there's like a mystery narrative there's um there's the whole play of of format um and then on top of that you know there's a really weird structure of a narrative and then underneath that there's this mystery film that's kind of in there and there's like a yeah it's, it's,
0: <laughs> it's got a bit of everything it's a bit of everything and I was thinking to myself it's not not early Darren Aronofsky or <laughs> with a with a flavor of Wed Anderson <laughs> production design and uh, and pacing and uh, voiceover and stuff like that like so there's like nods to, to to very sort of well-known pieces in there as well yeah yeah there's a there's
1: a few little things in there definitely there's um it, touch, it flicks a lot of buttons and in more ways than one but um yeah, there's definitely a bit of Hal Ashby in there, you know, a bit of uh, Harold and Maud, a bit of being there, a bit of it's kind of a smorgasbord of of kind of I don't know film history or stuff I like anyway.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to um, I'm not go- I'm going to ask you to describe the plot because I feel like I would butcher it if I if I attempted to, or I just read the blurb. I'd be much more interested to get maybe say a few words about the story.
1: Yeah, cool, no problem. So this story it's it's about. Um, a man called John Klein, um, John Klein Jr. in fact, and he um, suffers from missing time. And he also um, is incapable of verbal communication. And this all stems from a traumatic incident in his childhood um, where his parents disappeared. And essentially uh, he has moved back to the family home uh, many, many years later, and he has decided to uh, get a group of local actors to play his mother, to play his father, and uh, a technician, and he's going to re, kind of reenact or recreate or repropose his family home movies, with the idea of maybe somehow solving how his parents disappeared, of somehow remembering. But he's the most <clears throat> unreliable narrator in history. You know, he he can't remember. He's so unreliable. You, you just can't. N- n- not even his coast is, uh, not even the characters uh, around him even believe him fully Um, and he doesn't really believe at a certain point uh, his own story perhaps so it's really this very kind of straightforward little little narrative that just gets intercepted and that gets kind of uh, decomposed by um, the film itself um, I guess losing track of itself Um, slowly we we lapse into the uh, the film that he's making so it becomes a film within a film within a film and we lose track of reality and it's i guess it's a way of uh, uh depicting that sense of lost time that he's afflicted with
0: again you're saying an unreliable uh, narrator but also he's sort of attempting to puppeteer the performers who he's cast as his parents and they're very um sort of well drawn for you know like just say they wouldn't have a traditional arc or anything like that but they're well served especially the the character that plays his father like he's so sort of obnoxious but you follow him at times and you're on his side and then you're not like he feels he's and again this is is what i think was so interesting about it you tackle the themes Mm -hmm. of abuse and he's quite clearly like a narcissistic character but again like John is so unreliable himself that you're not sure who to root for, and I thought that was a very interesting dynamic, and again, very well realised. I'm just wondering. Mm. So this is um, an arts council funded. This is their authored works, was it?
1: Oh, this is an, this is an author. This is just a, a project award. Um, one of the project awards. It does, it does look a million dollars though. <laughs> okay. A very resourceful and crafty project award is the way I would, I would put it. Um, yeah. So it's developed in that way. Oh, wow. And we had like the, yeah, we had the three year, well, it's usually a year turn, turnaround on one of those. And um, because of the COVID situation, we had ex- uh, extensions. So it became a bit of a three year project. Um, so that's kind of how it came to be really through uh, entirely due to the arts council
0: wow and was it always pitched as a as a project award feature like that's ambitious what would the yeah the budget
1: be on that um the budget we had for this was well, i think the budget limit on the project awards are i think it's like 70 or 80 um we didn't have anywhere near that i think we had around 44. the idea was to make a very small um chamber piece that wasn't quite entirely set inside one space and we got the project award to fund it from the arts council and then um, I decided at that point to kind of develop the screenplay a little more and more and more and then, um, um, then I decided to call when I saw how uh, expensive it had become uh, on paper i sort of called in a lot of favors because uh in the industry i'm working in film for around 15 years um, maybe yeah around 15 years and you know i started out even beyond that i mean i started out when i was like 14 15 like doing pink pages like i think it was like even like series one of raw or something like knocking on car windows looking for for work um, um yeah so I, I accrued a lot of favors and i decided to cash in on them um and that's pretty much like We shot in Ardmore Studios, actually. We shot uh, in a few different places, all down to the fact that you know, I, a lot of friends and a lot of work went into helping people on their projects. And then the time came where they had to uh, fork in, uh, fork out, I should say, uh, on, on this one. So yeah, it, it doesn't look like the budget that it is, um, in, in a good way, I hope. Um, but that's really down to just having the time to really patiently and rather forensically just work out everything like every shot every uh location the production design and everything so it was like really again the time that COVID allocated to that really helped because the turnaround for the project awards only a year mm-hmm. so yeah so we were able to just take that to our advantage
0: and how did that work did you have a certain amount of shoots with the actors and then you'd bring your lead back in to do bits and bobs? like what was your process with that or, or was it just done on separate locations over a long period of time
1: yeah a bit of both actually so we had um one kind of large shoot to begin and it was late um 2020 um i think there were a few smaller shoots peppered before then in the summer um but when things got a bit more flexible with travel and Stuff like that. We're able to fly over. Um, actor James Devereaux, who's he's from London, and um, he came over. And then, I mean, once that happened, that was like essentially everyone's isolating because no one can get sick. Because we did have a contingency plan, but ultimately, there's a certain point where that will fall through. Like if you're mid-shoot, you've already spent the money, so there's no real contingency because to set it back up again would be you know disastrous. So everyone has to be on their best behavior. And, and we basically considered as if like everyone had COVID. That's the way we looked at it. you all have COVID, you all have to isolate. You can't go anywhere do anything for 14 days. Um, so getting everyone in uh, was for that first shoot was really important. So we were all in Carlo um, and we are shooting in the middle of nowhere, um, uh, really rural setting, really strange, quirky locations. And then the rest of the shoots were, again, as were, people were needed the small groups were kind of brought together again being very careful about the whole COVID situation I um, was quite worried about that but um again it all came together very slowly and very carefully just making sure everyone was okay and, and things like that just you know, health wise and insurance wise and you know don't want to get sued (laughs) etc but um yeah but it it went extremely well um and it was very staggered out and as you say you know but then we were able to work with John Curran who's the lead who plays John Klein um and we were able to go away with him to different locations for long stretches and just film with him uh for in you know uh, at different points throughout the year and we filmed in Kerry we filmed in Cork we filmed in Galway we filmed uh Dublin we filmed in Wicklow we've i'm sure i'm forgetting something like carlo um we filmed all over the place over the two over the two or so years
0: that is so. very well stretched budget <laughs> oh My god <laughs> like the scope of it because it does like it like it just looks like something that's so big the production design is so polished the the feel of it the the vibe it's so nuanced and textured and then the sound mix like the mix is incredible
1: yeah Killian did an amazing job on that Killian Fitzgerald um and we we were working we we did a lot of really strange things with the I mean one of the main ideas really was um we wanted the home movie material to look and feel like actual home movies so we wanted to shoot on all the different formats but also have sync sound so we had a lot of uh, you know, some formats, for example, VHS, I mean, you can't get the cameras fully functional anymore. I mean, if anyone's listening and they have a VHS camera, let me know. It's fully functional. But so we had some that sort of worked and we could use them for specific effects, like, which I'll, you know, destroying the image and stuff like that. You can feed images through the cameras and stuff. But to do synchronized sound, we had to use like Hi 8 tape, Video 8 tape, which is a bit more reliable, further into the 90s kind of tech. But, yeah, we were really um, forensic with the technology. And when it came to sound, um, it was really wonderful working with Killian because he's, you know, he's a complete industry professional, worked on so many feature films and was so generous with um, with his time. And again, we were spending so much time, you know, getting these really high quality recordings um, and then destroying them like rather forensically with Killian, you know, degrading them, making them sound like this type of tape from this era under this condition or that type of tape. And then of course, as well, some of the audio is also recorded on quarter inch tape or printed onto a quarter inch tape and then digitized or on cassette tape or things like that. So it was really textured um, process and Killian was incredible. And we also worked with Ollie Ollie Ryan, who's an incredible musician, um, composer and sound artist. And he did some really great work on the sound as well. And the film, um, a lot of the Foley I I, I did myself mostly, um, worked with a guy called Sam McHugh, he's an incredible guy. And and really it was just, we made the film pretty much the way the guy in the film makes his film. So it's a strange, it's a strange thing. But um, it's very layered and very textured
0: yeah because I was going to say that must be really enjoyable if you're like a professional working on stuff to do something that is so abstract as well that isn't Mm. like that like again you're you're right it's so layered it's so it's so visceral it's so abstract it's not you're not going oh someone's eating I'm going to make a crunching sound you're just going (laughs) How do i vote oh, no. sensation how do i do this within the realm of of
1: oh we love playing with things where like we would just use sounds that were alien to the situation like if someone's eating we would focus on a sound that would be very minimal like uh someone scratching them so you know it was like playing with that situation again like the film really is it's a it's like um i suppose it's about you know trauma and missing time and you can trauma in particular like you you can do scenes like heightened drama where people are you know screaming at each other over a dinner table for example and we have a dinner table scene but the purpose was not to to show to explore the theme in that way was and that was to do quite the opposite but to have a very muted kind of scene where these tensions are kind of there but explore those themes really through the grammar of cinema through the editing, and through the sound and through the structure of the scene and through the structure of the f- film as a whole. So it's it's a different way of, of, of looking at those, of experiencing those kind of themes that maybe in a more commercial, traditional narrative film, they'd be much more at the forefront. Um, so it's kind of incorporated in the structure in a way. So I mean, so the example of trauma, for example, I mean. Pff, um, It's the idea of like a cycle or perpetual recurrence over time. And so the film has multiple beginnings, multiple endings, scenes play out different ways, you know, different times. It's a level of repetition. So it's not. So, yeah, so the dinner scene or scenes like you would see in an ordinary film are kind of taken and kind of approached quite differently.
0: Um, I did find the dynamics to be very interesting, the dynamics between um, Lynette and her co-star in it. A James, yeah. Yeah, like there was just, they felt, even though they were just talking about, obviously th- their script, it was like there was just this weird <laughs> moment in like the animosity at times and then in the kind of casual bond between them like it was a very interesting it was very interestingly done all through that you know one person holding the camera moving it around like it was it was sort of unnerving given that it's such a heightened concept as well that you have those and you're
1: kind of leaving them to it as well.
0: yeah. Yeah. Um how do you achieve that with your actors like what how you said you were working on the script first of all. So you your subject matter how formed is it when you go in if it's something that's so free flowing and
1: It was very scripted. There's very little improvisation. It's almost entirely scripted. I think by the time we got to the set, there were, um, I think there were seven full drafts and each with like four revisions or something. Um, And we did all the prep in Zoom, which was really strange because I think it's really hard to gauge if people have chemistry, you know, on a Zoom call, like a group call. Um, And then you have things like, signal and microphone quality and lag and things like that so you're trying to hit beats but someone's coming in like a few seconds later and you just don't even know is it the script that's the problem is it the you know so we really hadn't some things worked very well um and then like and then other things we had no idea if they'd work until we were in the room together and that was really exciting so when we actually got there we ran the scenes it was like okay great this works okay excellent but they were incredible, James, uh, Lynette, uh, John and John Allen, who's also in the film, and really going through all those painful Zoom calls. Um, and then it finally came together
0: and we're in the room. Yeah, that the sound guy character, I just...
1: We know that guy, don't we? Yeah,
0: it's so <laughs> funny. He like, was just so like these performers and then the, the kind of the, 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 the wild genius um, Otter and like the sound guy who's just like eating his chips. So, I don't
1: know. Basically, yeah, I've been in situations like that. Like, things, yeah,
0: he's like, sure, <laughs> you guys do your thing. Like, he comes really... almost
1: like this, this weird kind of like folk, like this weird kind of character who you kind of look at for. He's like the only sane one in the room, but then you begin to get like, oh, really? Is he? Because he's involved in this, you know, he's invested in this in a way that's not been fully explained
0: yeah I did like I found that kind of recognizable as the, as the trope character is six of these specific characters I thought that was quite funny as well oh, like, great. sometimes when you saw him it was like it's almost like an office thing where you're there like yeah oh, sorry yeah. this is the podcast I was doing that like awkward I motioned to camera look away and then look back with <laughs> that they do mockumentaries
1: <laughs> like oh yeah of course yeah 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 oh that's it that's pretty much it that's the awkwardness
0: isn't it so what was your, um, so you had this script ready to go.
1: Yeah, like it was, yeah. So it's like, it's, I suppose, um, it's not really a narrative film. Like it is a narrative film, but it's, I like the term experimental narrative. I think I first read about that when I was you know, reading about the filmmaker Corral Ruiz, Chilean filmmaker. He makes, he's a very, his filmography is like extremely uh, almost indebted to literature. Um, it's really fantastical uh, and wonderful. And at the same time, it's extraordinarily cinematic. Like it could not exist any other way. Um, and this idea of experimental narrative, I kept, you know, it's something that I thought fit this idea quite well. And it is experimental in the sense that it uses structure and it uses technology and it uses different uh, devices um, almost like I said, literary devices, like repetition, things like that, to achieve a theme or to not a theme, but like to achieve a kind of a goal. Um, And that's kind of the pitch that I gave, I suppose, the arts council. And there wasn't really a full screenplay when I, when I pitched it for them, it was something that I knew I was going to develop, but really with a pitch like that, you're developing like the thematic, the structural, and what makes it experimental and, with the sync sound and with actors and things like that. I knew I wanted to expand it into a screenplay because it's the only way you could really uh, get that many people, you know, you could actually pull it off the screenplay. I, I always thought these things are just really like tools, you know, some people in, you know, underground film or experimental film would be very opposed to these tools, but I think it's like just a tool like anything else. If it becomes required, then you have to to, to avail of it. And if you, it's you know it'd be foolish not to if if it could be helpful and it was almost absolutely a, a necessity in this case so it just kind of grew out of that um, and they were very arts council were so supportive especially um, when it came to just constant questions I had during pandemic and stuff about you know feasibility and and uh, things like that but it was it was overall it was an incredible process working mm-hmm.
0: with them that yeah because I suppose there it is. It's not like you have to go. This is what the market is interested in, because it's it's about them supporting you as an artist, creating your work in that Mm. in that area in that that field. So it does it does make sense. Like it it couldn't be something you could have ever gone to Screen Ireland with for your production. I
1: don't think it would have. Yeah, I don't think they would have bitten that. I don't think they would have gone for it. I think it would have. It always was going to be an Arts Council film. I suppose it was the more I got into the idea the more it became necessary that you know that it would be scripted and that it would be um a very traditional production actually um but I think it was absolute necessity and again you know like my background is experimental film and and even before that I was always writing storytelling is something you know since I was a kid or whatever it's really something I've fixated on and I really wanted to um I suppose I began to make films for a period of time that were completely improvised. And that was such an exciting thing at the time, because, you know, since you're a child or growing up and wanting to make films, you're really told how to make a film. Like, it's very indoctrinated in you, especially if, like myself, I went to film school, that you're told exactly, you know, how to think about filmmaking and how to think about making a film. And after a period of time, like, you just this is not really that interesting because the films you make growing up and these films are kind of made redundant because nothing really counts until you you make your first feature or something like this. You're in a trajectory the whole time. But I wanted to make films in a way that um, meant that a little film I could make when I'm like 23 um, could be something in 10 years time I would look back on and go, you know, that's pretty good. And so I wanted to, I turned to a more improvisational, kind of style to embrace the lack of means that I had and to really focus on other aspects of cinema. Like I couldn't realistically shoot, you know, a gunfight. So the film kind of became like a gunfight through editing and through camera tricks and through sound. So this idea of, of, of form and content kind of began to merge. And so naturally I wanted to reintroduce story at some point.
0: And just while we're on the topic of content and story, uh, like it's the themes underneath everything are very, very dark, that cyclical abuse. Would you say that's something I, I just think as a writer, it's very interesting. That The things that we're drawn to in the world and, and to observe, and then to kind of explore through art. Do you feel like you're drawn to these much darker themes? Or do you feel like there's just more meat there or just this structure lent itself to this? Or would that be like a theme in your writing?
1: I think I've always been drawn to the darker elements of things. Um, It's, I think there can be a lot of, uh, it, I suppose I'm, there can be a lot of interesting ways to uh, engage with with the darker material. Um, and there can be a real challenge to to lighten it up, to have a moment of complete, you know, horrible situation and to find a moment of just attention twist it just a little bit and then it's extremely funny and i always maybe it's a kind of a monty python thing or a, i just i love that um and so i suppose when you're dealing with the ideas of missing time you know there's a lot of ways you can go with that and there are a lot of i suppose ideas that have been in other films and other books and stuff about missing time and it's alien abduction some kind of abuse things like that like mysterious skin that film um there's a bunch of ways you can go about it and i wanted to touch on all of these little things um and so it became yeah it was definitely something that was necessary to kind of draw into the process i couldn't have avoided the elephant in the room um so i mean yeah that was it was became part of the of, of the of the idea for sure didn't stray away from it
0: and again i was saying your characters are so well observed like suspiciously well are they like a composite of people that you know i always <laughs> say that like when the there's there's like a little bit of too much of truthfulness that, that that you're like oh these these aren't kind of picked out of a book like do you do do you kind of mine your world for yeah uh, and interrupt i said yeah
1: yeah no I, de- I mean definitely like there's a level of I think it's usually in the details. I mean, it's like, you can do broad strokes, but I think when it comes down to like the detail or mannerism of a character, like usually it's something you observe that just you couldn't quite make up, you know, you'd need to have witnessed it. And um, the film industry is full of crazy people. I mean, we're all mad, you know, and everyone is really strange. Uh, They all come to it from different backgrounds and different, everyone has quirky personalities and different things. And I saw a lot of these people over the years um when i was working you know on different projects big commercial projects or you know as a as an assistant or technician or something and yeah absolutely i mean to make a film uh, if you think of it from the character's point of view i mean you're going to move into this house with this guy for some kind of paycheck to <laughs> to play his parents it's a really bizarre situation and he, you know and so there's got to be the rate on that isn't it?
0: One fifty a day, is
1: it... <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's something like that, maybe. I hope, I hope, I hope it's more. Um, yeah, exactly. I don't think. Yeah, there's probably no. There's no signal there, so there was no time for a union email at any given point. So I'd imagine they were kind of trapped there. But um, yeah, these these are. I mean, it was just about the idea that these people must be a little bit unusual if they would, couldn't you know, if they would agree to this unusual situation so freely, you know, so, so, so willingly really. Um, but yeah, there's a little bit of reality, uh, a lot of fiction. (laughs) I, I, I guess auto fiction is probably the, the term that's thrown around quite a lot. And, um, the def, it definitely is an auto fictional work to a degree. Um, I suppose John's the leads characters, his whole process of making films is something that's been cannibalized from my experiences, making films. Um, so there's a good bit of reality in the in the fiction for sure
0: and where did you okay so you were, you were saying the length of time was like the longest shooting period ever and getting stuff as were you kind of compiling and editing it behind the scenes or did you wait till you got it all together and then put it all together to see what it looked like what was your process um we were
1: because of the, the technical process of a lot of the older equipment, we really were... Um, I was kind of editing and shooting simultaneously. And look, we, we everything was kind of planned and scheduled to a really great degree. But to a certain degree, we had to get playback from certain digitized um, aspects of, of the recording um, to see where we were going to go next. Because we had magazines of... Uh, Super 8 or 16 that we didn't really know kind of what was on them. There were notes. So you're just kind of picking up magazine three going, oh, yeah, that's from this day. So now we have to go to check my notes Um, the woods at this time for this light to shoot for eight seconds of this shot and then take out the magazine and put in the next. You know, it was very kind of planned. But um, yeah, a lot of the editing had to happen simultaneously to so we didn't lose track of ourselves.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's complex. And like, so did you wait till it was kind of finished before going, sending off for the sound mix or would that be something you'd bring on board the sound mixer as you were going and go, this is the theme, this is the tone, this is where where we'd like to be at. Do you want like, what's easier for that as a project flow? I
1: suppose we went to sound mix when I was just getting into the uh, edit. And confirmed kind of what I wanted to do and what I was looking for. And once that was all agreed, you know, I I stayed in contact um, with Killian Fitzgerald, the sound designer and mixer. And then I did a good chunk of pretty much most of the sound edit myself. Um, And so everything was kind of happening to a point where once we get to that, we had a very short period of time with the design and the mix, um, that we could just maximize on the time we had. So I tried to do as much of the work as possible, the the, the, the grunt work really. Um, but yeah, it was the, the sound mix was done separately. The, the sound edit, everything was in like a traditional post-production workflow, really. It was just like, you know, the offline edit, the um, then the, the the sound design and Foley. I think even towards the end of the sound design, I was still running outside to get footsteps or to get sounds of gravel or, you know, the usual stuff.
0: Or uh, in Coggle's course, the sound of, of people in the pub next door shouting.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. We actually did record some sounds um in that alleyway, actually, bizarrely enough, but it was completely unusable yeah. because of that.
0: Because <laughs> it is, it's such a, it's such a cool alleyway, but it's just never quiet.
1: Never quiet. No. And we were looking for kind of an ambient mix of sound, but like, it was just, you could just, you could still discern what people were saying. Like, you know, names were mentioned. So we were just like, oh, we can't use that. threats were made names were mentioned you know so yeah um but that's a great little space shooting around dublin kind of was easier you know during lockdown i mean i imagine a lot of people made a lot of b-roll for a zombie film or something um we really enjoyed it for sound we went out um anyamala the producer and i went out to like phoenix park we got lots of trees creaking something you don't really hear without background sound pollution um a lot of footsteps a lot of stuff building up this little library of sound Um, Because quite a lot of the film is shot completely silent. Um, So it's all placed.
0: That's very interesting, actually. So everything, or like most parts of it were layered on top, which... Pretty
1: much. I mean, I have this one memory of um just sitting at the foot of the bed with a load of leaves that i'd gotten from outside the garden one morning it must have been around 7 a.m because i i just oh i need this recording of leaves these leaves have to go in and i just picked them up and i just woke i was just crunching them all over myself which was like a mic setup and everything i was just like at that moment just like jesus what am i doing but yeah there was yeah that that kind of happened
0: that's very exciting <laughs> but it is it's like one of those just kind on. of like snippets in time or if you explain that to you you're much 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 younger self they would be like what you're doing yeah. what now oh my god
1: i mean there's a film to be had there of just i mean i thought about it, just me with the i mean yeah i mean absolutely just a whole film of just doing these things
0: <laughs> one man and his leaves
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> Oh. 15 minutes long black and white you know cinemascope shot on you know 16 mil super 16 you know anamorphic you know absolutely oh it's all there absolutely we should talk after this we should get it done
0: next next year's project awards there you go <laughs> uh, so, so it had its premiere at this year's Galway Film Flat which is a real sort of industry um, festival yeah, what was really the well. reception like? Was it nice? Yeah, it was, it was, it was big, great. To see something like that, again, that's so visceral, that's so textured, that's the so layers on a system like that was be fabulous.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was great hearing the film, you know, as it was intended to be heard, like, you know, proper surround sound, you know, Dolby uh, system, and then seeing it really a beautiful projection. We're in the palace and um, really, really great, um, great reception, really great audience. With really a nice Q and A, um, Will uh, Will Fitzgerald is absolutely incredible. So, um, so supportive of the film. Um, he really he gave us like we had the biggest screen in that cinema, and we almost I think we almost sold it out, um, which is really weird because this is like it's it is it is an experimental film. You know, at the end of the day, it's uh, even though it has these you know narrative aspects, it is quite challenging in some in some degree. So um, people really liked it. They really liked it, and we we also screened in uh, Revelation Perth International Film Festival as well, which Jack uh, Sergeant um, programs. Um, and yeah, it was that wasn't that from what I heard? From, I couldn't go to that because it was on the same time as Galway. But apparently that was it was great as well. It was yeah. So the reception has been really great so far.
0: There was good solid writing in it. The mystery setup was really engaging. You 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 kind of held it as as what's happening what's going to happen um and even though it was experimental it just the the grain of truthfulness to the emotions behind everything Mm -hmm. like my one of my pet peeves is when it's it's just all for show and there's nothing underneath it
1: Sure you know, yeah, like yeah, like yeah. what
0: I really enjoy is if there's like you know you kind of you you, you peel away all the the leaves and the, and there's something quite interesting underneath it.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah that's great to hear
0: i keep saying like it's it's just such a well-observed dynamic between between that pair that you're like you're you're i've you're, invested right till the end mm-hmm. which, which i can mm-hmm. definitely say that um
1: no they were great james Devereux and lynette Callan were just absolutely incredible to work with um absolutely and um john murphy aka john atma um, he just plays the narrator character he was incredible just incredible to work with as well and John Curran I mean there'd be no film without him like, he really is the film
0: yeah and like that as well like he does a good job of, of selling this character yeah. you don't know who he is what his plan really mm-hmm. you know you, you get his kind of erroneous plan but you don't know his true intention and, and so yeah. you don't sort of trust him as, as you're going by and I was like that's an interesting thing and difficult thing to pull off if you're if you're yeah. oh, silent so yeah exactly yeah but no it, it really it really works um and then i'm like what has the has anyone kind of reached out and given kind of feedback like has now that it's starting to hit the
1: yeah we well we got, um there was a write-up um in the irish times with donald clark he seemed to really like the film um he gave really generous coverage coverage of the film when it was at the flat and um yeah he really really liked it and was um, very generous and he uh gave us a, a feature in the times recently um dedicated to the film so that was great and it's it's really helped get people thinking about you know other types of films other types of films that maybe they think oh i might not like this kind of thing this might be a bit too strange or too experimental or something but really um it could be very enjoyable um in a different way you know it's not your your Marvel movie it's not your you know Netflix action movie but it's it's something different and I think he really opened up um, that to audiences and I was very grateful for that um, from doing that and um, yeah he'll be doing the Q&A actually so the film opens at the Irish Film Institute on Friday the 12th and Donald will be there for the Q&A and that, that's gonna be great um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be really, really great to see it, because we shot some of it in the IFI as well. So it's going to be so bizarre watching oh, it, nice. and people watching it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Screen 2, is
0: not it? Was screen screen
1: 2. I think it is, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't yeah, know which we, we one we shot in. Yeah.
1: We shot in 1 and 2, uh, did a bit of sound work in 3, because 3 is really well insulated for sound. Um so yeah i think a, a bit of everywhere appears in it you know so it's it's so surreal <laughs> to be there and to see the room you're in on screen you know there's that really uh one of my favorite quotes from the filmmaker ruiz is uh you know um whenever you watch a film you know you see two films the film you watch and the film that watches you i think that really lands very well in that room because you're literally seeing the room you're in on the screen playing out
0: oh my god <laughs> Do you have any distribution plans for this after the IFI? Are you any further yeah. after the screening, or is it a secret? Um, no, it's not no, no secret. It's currently
1: just fishing around. There's been some interest. Um, some people have gotten in touch, and there's been some conversations. But still, for the moment, it's still a one-man, well, more or less, it's still just me kind of pushing it around. But I really hope that, that that it continues to snowball and um and more things kind of open up for it. It's still on the festival circuit as well. Um so it's still kind of early days, but for distribution right now, no, it's it's um all um all possibilities are out there. Mm,
0: it's funny when it's listening. Exactly, yeah, checkbook. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Oh. yeah, no, sure. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, Hole in the Head is on in the IFI and uh, yeah so if you can catch that screening on Friday, which is probably when this is going out, uh, on Friday on Friday uh, or today, if you can catch that screening today um, definitely it's it's well worth a watch.
1: Definitely go because I've seen the film and I definitely think you should go to see it. I think it's pretty damn great, yeah.
0: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much Gemma. Cheers. Thank you.